Good afternoon. We are back at the Metropolitan Culture Corner, where once a month we let you listen in to one-on-one -on -one conversations with the individuals who help to make Barcelona the crazily creative city that it is. This place is just bursting with art and culture. Also with craziness, but that's one of the reasons why we love it. Our guest this month is Chase Johnsy. Originally from the United States, Chase is based in Barcelona. He is a gender-fluid ballerina and known as a pioneer in the dance world when it comes to challenging gender roles. In 2017, he was awarded Best Male Dancer at the UK National Dance Awards. In 2018, he joined the English National Ballet as a first artist making history as the first male dancer to dance female roles in a traditional dance company. I mean, this guy was everywhere. He was all over the newspapers. He has performed at some of the world's most prestigious dance venues, including New York's Kennedy Center, Tokyo's Bunka Center, and the London Coliseum, and he is a constant advocate for the LGBTQIA community. Chase is not only an innovative and incredibly talented dancer, he is also a choreographer, and he is the artistic director and co-founder of contemporary and classical dance company Ballet de Barcelona, the only professional dance company in all of Catalonia. Ballet de Barcelona was founded in May 2019 and has already performed well over 50 shows for over 50,000 spectators in Catalonia and other parts of Spain as well as in France and Andorra. The company now includes 49 dancers of 23 nationalities and currently has five productions running. That's a lot. The company is doing something that no other Spanish dance company has done before, both in terms of their exponential growth in the face of the circumstances surrounding the global pandemic, also in terms of their consistent adherence to the standards of authenticity and high quality while simultaneously defending inclusion and bending gender boundaries in the world of dance. And not only gender boundaries, all kinds of expectations that come along with this beautiful, complex, rigorous world known as ballet and contemporary dance. So all that said, please welcome our guest this month on the Metropolitan Culture Corner, Chase Johnsy. I broke all the barriers because I was the exception. And yeah, I have natural artistic capabilities, but everything was sort of going against me to be a ballet dancer. Many people told me I would never be. It's the same story with so many of the dancers here, but they're exceptional. Living in New York for so long, I met so many people that persevered. I was taking ballet classes with people in wheelchairs, taking ballet classes with people in their 70s. There are so many different ways to keep going and to follow your passion and your love of life or art in general. You know, that's really the big message. First of all, welcome and thank you for talking with us today. I feel like interviewers sometimes focus only on the bullet points, you know, like on the awards, the critical acclaim and so on, which I do want to talk about as well. But I'd also like to find out what made you start dancing in the first place? What led you to take your first dance lesson? Who taught you? I started dancing, I think, naturally, watching television and Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Paula Abdul, Madonna. I was born in 1985, so that was, you know, MTV. And I think my mom saw me doing that, and then she put me in dance when I was eight years old. But I started clogging, which is like tap dancing, but it's like more traditional. And also my dad didn't want me taking ballet. <laughs> I didn't start ballet until I was probably about 13 years old. How do you make the leap from clogging and enjoying ballet just for fun as a hobby to knowing it was something you want to do for a living? Well, 
I have a very strong mother figure, even to this day. She's very involved. I just think that she wanted to keep me really busy as a child with the arts, because she knew that I was very creative. I was also very quiet, but I was very creative at the same time. So not only was I dancing, but I was doing theater. And I also played the violin, and I had to practice the violin a lot, and I got into this conservatory. I was good at it, but I didn't like love the violin. So then in the same building across the way, there was the dance department, and so every opportunity I would have, I would run over there, go look in, and they said, well, you know, we need boys. So, you know, even if you don't have a lot of dance training, we'll take you into the department. And then I switched, and that's how I got into ballet. Do you feel like your other studies, theater and, and violin, for example, informed aspects of how you perceive music when it comes to dance? Do you feel like they fed off of each other? Or do you feel like they were separate? Yes, because my musical training definitely helped me because I was a part of a symphony orchestra in that conservatory. So you get enveloped in the music and you study a lot of the composers. I played a lot of the things that I still dance to now. So then you are more sensitive to the nuances. Every single part of the composition I hear and when I do choreography or when I dance, I find those little notes. And I have to make the dancers in the company now aware of all those things that I hear. And my theater background really helped because, because again, I was really quiet and sort of shy, but it really opened me up. I don't want to speak for you, but it seems like to me your trajectory has been like a series of leaps, no? From dancing to Paula Abdul, to then taking classes, then to ballet, and then deciding you want to do this as a career. And then something that most people wouldn't have leapt to out of fear, out of societal pressure, out of just not having had it occur to them in the first place. How did you go from all that to then start exploring the idea of dancing traditionally female roles? I'm sure you received pushback. Yeah. Well, I come from a very, very small town in Florida, an extremely small town, a lot of drugs there. And I think it was just my mom's intuition to keep me very busy. Mm. I think she thought that she kept me busy enough that I would never get into things like that and it worked. When it comes to me doing female roles, when you're young, you don't realize that those things are so strange. For example, the first thing that I saw when I started in the dance department was the girls dancing on point. And I thought it was the most beautiful, bizarre thing I'd ever seen. It They looked so weightless and amazing. And I wanted to channel that beauty. My mom was my mom and my dad mm -hmm. for most of my life. So then women have always been my heroes. And I found that as a sign of strength. A lot of times when I do interviews and I talk about women being my role models and women being my heroes, people treat me as if I'm downgrading myself because, you know, in society, it's somewhat of a man's world. So then I guess nobody can imagine why I would want to do that. Whereas when women, specifically in ballet, are aiming to do men's steps, they're applauded for that. But me wanting to have the same types of qualities and naturally having a lot of them and also having a natural body type that is more similar to what you think of a female ballerina. I'm very petite, I'm pretty short. I have long proportions. It was seen as a horrible, terrible thing. But I was talented in that way. In the ballet sense, I'm much more talented wearing point shoes. So originally, it wasn't at all about dancing as a female. I just wanted to wear those shoes. I wanted to embrace those qualities that the women were doing. And I loved the steps, and I loved the choreography. Then there was only one place in the entire world that I could do that, and my teachers told me that. 
which was Trocadero, which is the all-male drag comedic ballet company. And I did that for 14 years. And then when I left there, I didn't think there was anywhere else that I could go. But then I auditioned for the English National Ballet. And to my surprise, I was good enough to do it. And I have the same height as all the girls in the company. I have the same type of body. And for that reason, the director there, who's also a woman, Tamara Rojo, she just liked the way I danced. And so I went on to do female roles there. But now that I've started the company here, when I dance, I just dance as myself wearing the point shoes. That's where I've gotten to now. That's been my career evolution. As if someone's seeing a sunflower and saying, well, that can't be a male sunflower, that's got to be a female sunflower, or the other way around. No, it's just it is what it is, and it's beautiful. Well, if you dance for 14 years in Trocadero, that's a long time, and comedic dance requires a different kind of skill set. I mean, same physical strength and obviously musicality, but it's different than dancing, I'm sure, for the English National Ballet. And I know you've mentioned in other interviews that Ms. Rojo was a huge influence and you learned a lot from her. So is there anything specific from both Trocadero and your time in the English National Ballet that you feel like this is the big thing I took away from Trocadero and this is the big thing I took away from working with Ms. Rojo that really helped me? In Trocadero, we had to study these ballets really hard in order to make fun of them. All of us had to learn these ballets inside and out. Every little nuance, every ballerina, you just go so deep in order to then make a parody of it. So we study these ballets way harder than I think anybody does normally. In a normal company, you just do as you're told, but we had to know the history of everything. I also performed so much. We did about 100 shows a year, so multiply that, I probably did 1,400 shows. I started doing leading roles at 19 there, so it makes me fearless. The stage is my home, I feel comfortable there. I am so much more extroverted on stage than I am in real life. And also, it's an amazing feeling to make people laugh and make people happy. Specifically, when you hear kids in the audience, we traveled all over the world. There was a lot of really amazing things that I was able to take away from that. And with the English National Ballet, it was just really amazing to be taken seriously. I learned so much about technique. Trocadero wasn't so much about the technique, it was a lot more about style and acting, more so than the technique. I learned so much technically from Tamara Rojo. She really pushes you and makes you further than you think you can go. She threw me into things, like for example, I did Sleeping Beauty. There's a drag character in there, but she didn't want me doing that because I had already done that. She wanted me to be taken serious with a lot of different roles. Also, like in Trocadero, I always felt like I was hiding behind a character, hiding behind the eyelashes and the wigs. Even though I had the wig and makeup and all that stuff, they just wanted me to be me. They just wanted me to be natural. I didn't have to try to emulate a female. They didn't tell me to look more feminine. They simply put me in the same costume as everybody else, and that was enough for them. So perhaps at ENV, I really learned how to just be myself and not try so hard. Is that why now you enjoy dancing with, as you said, just the white tights, the point shoes, and without all the makeup, instead of becoming a character, you just you on stage? You said something earlier that rang a bell with me. In our first show, I did Dying Swan. And then in this production now, we do the act two of Swan Lake, and I do it in just a white unitard with a feather wig. Because when you look at a swan, you don't really know which one is a male or female, but they're both equally beautiful. That really was the whole message behind that. I can look really different 
and that doesn't make me any less beautiful. In that sense, is that one of the roles you're the most proud of having done for that reason? Or is there another role that you say, for me, this is the role I've done that I'm most proud of, whether it was because it was technically difficult or because of the way you executed it, which maybe isn't typical in this case. Naturally, I'm a very fast trickster dancer in Trocadero. I was Kitri. I was fire, fuetes and turns and tricks and balances. I was a daredevil. Nothing scared me. Nothing still scares me. Um, for Odette, I did it in Trocadero a lot. The adagio, the softer, vulnerable quality was hard for me. But, you know, when I got into my 30s, I really started to embrace it. Here, it's just been really nice because I don't have to live up to female expectations and I don't have to live up to male expectations. I need to find a way to look my own personal best. So I love this time that I'm doing it because I'm free. And really, I'm just one dancer. I happen to be the artistic director of Ballet de Barcelona. But that same freedom is the same freedom that all the dancers have here. They need to constantly strive to be their best, but they're all beautiful in their own unique individual ways. We try to really just focus on ability. We are a full kaleidoscope rainbow of body types and ethnicities, and I'm just a part of that, you know? And that was one of my questions, was digging your own path and not necessarily conforming to traditional boundaries is already a brave thing when it comes to fighting for your own truth as an artist and fighting for equality in the dance world in general. So my question was, how do you apply those principles to your dance company, to Ballet de Barcelona? But I think you just answered my question. I, I can answer that more. Go for it. <laughs> we make it relevant is we don't point it out. A lot of dance companies, they, oh, I'm going to promote my black dancer or my Asian dancer. Part of being inclusive is we're a team. Nobody's excluded. We're one big family. Nobody knows that we have black dancers. Nobody knows if we have a transgender dancer or not, because it doesn't matter. What matters is that these group of dancers, they dance their heart out. We focus on the passion of it. All the other things don't matter at all. And that is how we keep it inclusive. So why did you choose Barcelona to start the dance company? I know you have personal ties, your husband's from here, but why not New York or, or somewhere else? Yes, my husband is Catalan, but also there was nothing here. So we trademarked the name Ballet de Barcelona. So we have a fabulous name, I love it. But also for someone like me here, it was no big deal. It is no big deal for me to dance in Catalonia as myself. And I'm so lucky for the history of controversial artists here that have made that environment for me. Even in the dance world, if you look at Sol Pico, Cesc Gilabert, the contemporary dancing that's constantly breaking those barriers, the Mercat de las Flores. So of course they look at me and it's not the most shocking thing that they've ever seen. For me as an artist, and for me to want to do a really liberal, forward-thinking ballet company that's conquering women's rights, that's conquering gender rights and like anti-discrimination and all of this stuff, this is the perfect place to do it because I'm not changing anybody's minds. This is the way that it should be done. That's why this is the perfect place for us to have this type of ballet company with also a really strong social message. I know you've collaborated with other entities and local and regional organizations like Yedart Ensemble or Girona Movement and these other. Are they surprised by the approach you guys take or are they just like, whatever, you guys are good dancers, what we want? That's the most beautiful thing about us is that we're sold out everywhere. You know, we collaborate with, with Yedart and Girona Movement, both amazing organizations, but the focus is on the dancing. 
And so if you have really good dancers, whether the, the ladies might have a little more breasts and hips than a really, really skinny ballerina, whether our guys are on the shorter side, it doesn't matter because it's all about what they project. They actually transcend any sort of assumption about what a dancer should look like because they're so much better. I hear you mean in Barcelona or you mean within your company? No, like when I was in school, in ballet school, or even you know, my director in Trocadero said, this is the only place you'll ever be able to dance. Do you think it's changed at all in the past, I don't know, decade? Are the exact same aesthetic and social societal barriers still in place? The world supposedly is changing and becoming more aware of diversity, but you find that to be true in the ballet world. I think in certain places it's changing, but the majority of them, they might say they're changing. They might go on an interview, they might make an Instagram post, but are they implementing it? I mean, there is a certain set of prerequisites. It's sort of like an opera singer. If you can't hit the notes, you can't be an opera singer. That's just a fact. If you don't have a basic fundamental technique and a certain level of talent, I require really highly skilled dancers. But in most of the companies, especially the big ones, the girls, especially if you don't have a specific type of body, specific proportions, specific type of foot, specific even to the face, you know. And then they say they're inclusive. And what they mean by that is they might hire one black dancer, two black dancers. I think that now the weight issue, I think that especially ballerinas, there's a more emphasis on to be muscular and toned rather than just thin. So I think that that has changed, but everything in the ballet world changes so slow. I know this is a question everybody asks you, I'm sure, but being an artist and a choreographer even, is different than starting your own ballet company. It's just so much more gestion, you know? So what made you decide, no, I really want to do this? I didn't really have a choice. After I made history in the English National Ballet, all I wanted to do was dance somewhere else. None of the choreographers at ENV wanted to work with me, even though Tamara was trying to fight to keep me there. All of them refused to have me in their productions. And I was really, really famous for those couple of months. I was on all the newspapers and everybody knew who I was. And the only thing that came of it was I got a lot of movie offers and TV offers, but I just wanted to dance. So then nothing came, so I stopped. And then my husband is from Barcelona, so I was here and I was giving classes. And I found this group of about nine dancers. We have a contact here in Barcelona with Teatro Condal from Dani Angles. He's the director of that theater. So then he had a free weekend and he's like, well, it's like 39 days away. And I was like, okay. So in 39 days, I put together a brand new production. We added some dancers. So there was 13 of us. It happened just like that. I mean, it sort of just fell into place. I think that because Tamara gave me that platform and that way to make history, I think I needed to go bigger than just myself. I think that I needed to become a part of the solution rather than just to be a sort of ballet legend, which is not really what I wanted anyway. I wanted to really advocate for everyone, not just gender, but body types, ethnicity, height, for all those things. And that's what we've really been doing. Is there advice you'd give to a young dancer who's just starting out? I know that sounds very general, but I think sometimes the advice you're given as a kid is not what you really need to hear. Like, just work hard and it'll be fine. That's not true. So 
there anything specific you'd share with someone who said, Chase, I want to dance. What do you recommend? What should I do? The advice that I would give dancers is that you need to keep everything sort of balanced. Your expectations. You do need to strive to be the best that you can possibly be and constantly push for more. And then at the same time, you need realistic goals and expectations. You know, there was only so far I was going to go. I was satisfied with that. And I sort of had to find the yes. And so perseverance is a really, really important quality when you're trying to make it in the dance world. And then a lot of dancers get discouraged because they don't make it into the big companies. But finding a smaller company is not necessarily a bad thing. You still get to dance and you still get to live your dream. I think that a lot of dancers get caught up on titles and they get caught up on their Instagram following and they get tied up on making 30 second videos that are extraordinary and they lose sight that this is actually a job, you know? And so it takes an extreme amount of work. You have to be able to do everything in any given moment. But I guess the most important quality is the perseverance and not backing away. Because a lot of dancers, they just give up. So does social media have a big impact when it comes to building your career as a dancer today? It does. Um, but as a director, it's very misleading. I have people in the company that have tens of thousands of followers because they take amazing pictures or they have a 15 second trick that they put on there and they get the following because they have a really extreme body and flexibility and feet. But then when I have to make a full ballet, you know what I mean? Are those people prepared to do hours and hours and hours of rehearsal and deal with all the things that they're hiding on that Instagram? but they're not showing. Every dancer has their weakness. I guess it is important. I know a lot of companies do look at Instagram followers. There are a lot of amazing dancers out there that have big Instagram followers for sure. I just think that that's one separate world. And whereas when you are creating a show, when you're working in theater, it's another world. I know you've got various shows in production now, which is why you're so busy. So are there productions now that you want to tell our readers about or any super exciting things that are coming up next season that you're just really looking forward to working on? I'm really excited because we were offered three weekends at Teatro Condal in Barcelona. And we are bringing this production called Perspectives. The Festival Peralada, they commissioned it last summer and we sort of pre-premiered it there to a really small audience and then we toured it. And now we're taking it for six shows in Teatro Condal. And I was really, really happy because Festival Peralada came to me specifically and they said, we want something about gender. We want something that is going to change people's perspectives. So we already had the act two of Swan 